0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Acts chapter 1. We have uh, been spending quite some time here in verses 12 through 26. In fact, this is our fourth message in the series in, in these verses 12 through 26. We saw the upper room prayer meeting. Uh, there and described some of how they prayed continually and with one accord and, and in prayer. We uh, uh, detailed the matter of Judas's death in verses 18 to 19 uh, and uh, harmonized that with a number of Scripture passages, especially in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, last time, uh, we looked at the need to replace Judas and how uh, Peter and the others uh, saw Old Testament Scripture and how they applied it by way of principle, to the situation with Judas, who was a kind of a uh, an evil man, what we might say uh, of great note, an evil man of, of par excellence, the kind of the worst example, and so he fit very perfectly the uh, psalmist's writing about those who you know lifted up their heel against me. He who ate his bread with me, uh, you know, lifted up his heel. Uh, and uh, he, he abandoned his office and, and, and all that. Let his, you know, let his dwelling place be desolate. He went to his own place, perdition, and uh, John 17 uh, indicates. So we saw the need there to replace Judas, and now what we're going to do is we're going to look at the process of replacing Judas, and this is in verses 21 through 26. So let me read there. We've established the need to do this according to what Peter has said. And now, um, and that was, by the way, just clarify, Peter stood up in verse 15 and he did the speaking. And so therefore, he says, verse 21, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So how do they select a new participant in their group? Well, it was not simply or only by casting lots, okay? That is, it's the kind of easy thing to get focused on, and you're thinking, okay, they drew straws, they threw dice, they did some other thing to try to figure out who this right person was going to be, and that did something like that did happen, but that is not the focus of the whole process. They went through four steps, not just one step, in order to determine who would fit the bill, so to speak. And so the first of those in this four step process, step number one, is that they laid out specific requirements. They laid out specific requirements. The apostolic office had certain requirements that had to be met Not just anyone could fulfill the office. The requirements were three under step one here. Uh, First of all, you see it says in verse 21, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went out among us. Okay, So they were with us this whole time. Somebody had to do that, number one. So they were in the group of men who were with Jesus during his earthly ministry, likely, Not for sure to my mind, but likely these men were part of the 70. Remember back in the Gospels, there were the 12 went out two by two, then the 70 went out two by two. One of these guys uh, likely was one of these two, or both of these men were, Matthias and also Joseph Barsabbas, uh, named Just, surnamed Justice. Number two, they had to observe Jesus' public ministry from the baptism of John at the beginning to the ascension at the end. It says, uh, the men who have accompanied with us all this time, beginning from the baptism of John to the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness. Okay, So that's number two. So we're whittling down the list of people who could possibly fulfill the office of apostle. Number three. In step one, step one is, remember, laying out specific requirements. Step or Number three under that, step one, he had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. It says, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. If you're not an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, you don't qualify as an apostle. So that cuts the list down quite substantially, doesn't it? Uh, Paul did observe the resurrected Jesus, he says, as one born out of due time. Uh, he records about Peter and the other apostles. Uh, the women were not considered for apostolic leadership office uh, who saw the Lord. Then there were 500 brethren at one time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. So those were the only people who ever would qualify to be an apostle uh, unless the Lord appeared to somebody on the road to Damascus, so to speak, again today, but we are cl- quite clear that's not going to happen. So you have those three items that have to be met as far as requirements or prerequisites. It should be obvious that no one can fulfill these requirements today. Okay. In fact, my earlier statement, I would retract in this sense that I suspect the Apostle Paul did observe the Lord Jesus' ministry, at least from afar. He saw it personally. He was alive, clearly, during that time and uh, had a great hatred for the Lord and for his people uh, before he became converted. But nobody can fulfill these requirements of apostleship today. Therefore, there are no apostles today. And so... um, You know, any time that you run into a church that claims to be run by apostles or have been founded by an apostle, um, go somewhere else, okay, run the other direction because they're very confused about basic biblical teaching. It's not that they're bad people per se, but they're just very confused. They need to be corrected in that regard. Now, there's a, the Bible text mentions another item, which basically also amounts to a requirement, but it's not specifically listed here, and that is the fourth requirement would be one who works the signs of an apostle, the signs of an apostle. These are miracles wrought by the hands of the apostles, such as, such as 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 12. And I'm going to just visit a couple of portions of Scripture with you 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Paul says in his defense, self-defense of his own apostleship, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. The signs of an apostle. In other words, you can't just say, hi, I'm an apostle. Okay, if you're an apostle, kind of show us. You Do know, uh, you have any things that prove that? You, know, you can't just come along and just say that. So those were the signs of an apostle that made it clear that he had the, uh, kind of the imprimatur of Christ. He had the power of Christ. He exercised those things. What um, Casting somebody into blindness, we saw that in the book of Acts. Uh, casting out demons several times in the book of Acts. Uh, you know, Peter raising somebody from the dead in the book of Acts. Uh, these sorts of things. So we have the signs of an apostle. Then also in, in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, verse 43, it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. There's some more of them. And then another one in Acts chapter 5, verse number 12, after, just after the Ananias and Sapphira incident, Acts 5, 12, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. All right, are you convinced so far? All right, well, let's uh, add to your ammunition here. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, This is one of the warning passages in Hebrews. There are five major warning passages in the book. It says in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, the Gospels, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the book of Acts and later on in the early church history, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Okay, here's God testifying. It's like God is on the witness stand and he's saying, Here are the, here's the evidence that these guys are real. All these signs and wonders and miracles, speaking in tongues, revelation, all that sort of thing. Now, what this amounts to, folks, is an authentication ministry that God did with the apostles like what he did in the Old Testament under the instruction of Moses. Moses in Deuteronomy 13 told the people, look, if some guy comes along and he gives a sign or makes a prophecy and it comes to pass, you might think, oh, well, listen to him. But he doesn't teach sound doctrine, then you don't listen to him. That's chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy 18, when he's talking about a true prophet, he contrasts that with a guy who makes a prophecy and it doesn't come to pass. doesn't matter what his doctrine is. If, it, if he makes a prophecy and it doesn't come to pass, you don't listen to him either. So a true prophet in the Old Testament was one who spoke for God and also uh, the sign that God gave was a prophetic ministry by which he could do something, say something, predict something, prophesy something that would come to pass. And that authenticated his ministry. Okay, makes sense? So you have that in the Old Testament. You have it now in the New Testament, the same kind of thing. Now, why do we not require those sorts of authenticating miracles today? because by those miracles, the apostles were authenticated. They were the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20. They gave us the revelation in this book, which is now put down in writing, and it's in a static format. It's preserved and translated down to this day for us. We don't need to be uh, have authenticated for us this is that this is a message from God. It's already been authenticated, pre-authenticated, self-authenticating, and uh, we have this word right here before us. So we don't need somebody new coming along and telling us the kinds of things that we need to you know, know from God. We already have what we need from God there. Okay, so that's a short version of uh, kind of the canon of Scripture and how we are, can trust the, the Bible that we have based on the, signs, the authentications that God gave of his ministers. But we go kind of come back full circle now to what they're doing here in Acts chapter 1 and and reminding ourselves they're selecting uh, a man to replace Judas, and they're saying he's got to meet these requirements. He has to have been with us all this time from the baptism to the ascension. He has to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, and eventually he will also work the signs of an apostle he can't obviously do that yet if he's not yet an apostle, but he will. Now that's step one, specific requirements. Step two. Okay, again, I'm making the case here to try to just to to clarify to you, it wasn't just you threw some dice and picked a guy. Okay, there are specific requirements. Okay, now there are, By the way, there are lists of requirements for church ministers today too, aren't there? Jansen's been preaching through on First Timothy chapter 3 and related passages in Titus 2 where the Bible lays out, here's the requirements for an elder slash pastor slash, you know, it's all those offices, the words refer to the same kind of person. And it's very, you know, a blameless and husband of one wife and has his house in order and all those things that are mentioned there. And if he doesn't meet the, and by the way, able to teach, so if he doesn't meet those requirements, it's not God's will for him to be a pastor. Okay, we can say that clearly. Well, what do you mean? How do you know it's not God's will? Because the Bible says so. That's the expressed will of God for us. We're not uh, you know, hunting around for some unknown will of God. We have the will of God right here listed for us uh, in very explicit terms. We just have to understand it and apply it to the various situations that God has put us in. Um, And so, and I believe it's valid for a church to have, you know, requirements for other positions, other service places in in the church. If you're going to teach Sunday school, you have to be able to teach. If you're going to be able to, you know, handle the money, you have to be able to handle money. If you're, you know, all these sorts of things. So, um, and we can, we can validly have those. So secondly, now, besides the list of requirements or specifications, secondly, a process of nomination, a process of nomination, it says in the text in verse number 23, uh, and they proposed two, and then it gives their names. Names really aren't that important for us because they could be anybody. We don't know them from Adam, but Joseph and Matthias. They proposed two. Now, Peter was speaking. Peter is a he. They is a they. They must be somebody, uh, the larger group, probably I'm thinking more so the whole group, not just the uh, apostles, uh, the you know the other the other ten, so to speak. Uh, the, so the proposal implies the nominees meet the qualifications and were of good report. They, the word they, indicates that a group of more than just Peter pointed out these uh, two men who seemed to be the obvious uh, uh, possibilities to the group. This may have been the eleven or 10, rather, other than Peter, or it may have been all 120 people that were present. You remember that from verse number 15. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And he said to them. So think about that. That's this room with the chair configuration we have now pretty much full. Okay? We can pack 150 or more in here, but we have to tighten up the chairs quite a bit to do to do that. So that's this room full, all the chairs full of people. Um, and I said something just a moment ago that maybe you didn't catch. These men were what I believe were the obvious choice for this group of people. You know, they're kind of thinking to themselves and looking around and saying, well, <laughs> this guy and this guy are clearly like, you know, the cream of the crop, so to speak. They're the ones that we think would fit. They fit the requirements. Uh, they, they are of good report, of good character. They have uh, been with us all this time. So I think that process of nomination was critical in this uh, situation. There was consensus among these people. The fact that there was a nomination, however, does not imply a fully open nomination process. Uh, Some people make bad or biased nominations, uh, you know, in, in church life, sometimes people nominate somebody just because they'll be a, a thorn in the side of the existing leadership. Uh, they don't think about, okay, like-mindedness, consensus, you know, spiritual, spirituality, uh, humility, and those sorts of things. That's when it just becomes a political process, and it's no better than what the world does. Uh, some people do not know the proper qualifications, Uh, Some merely choose on naturalistic or political grounds while so-and-so is a natural leader or so-and-so is important in the community or or whatever without regard to the biblical qualifications. Some don't know the qualifications. They're just clueless. You know, I like that guy. He'd be a good deacon or whatever. Uh, of, Of candidates that are chosen, knowledge of their spiritual condition may be limited amongst the congregation and only a few may know of problems that prevent the nominee from serving. In a church context, in our church context, the church council and the pastors are the final nominating committee because we have the insider information that would be necessary to uh, vet a candidate properly uh, as to whether the candidate meets biblical qualifications. This has come up a number of times over the years when uh, somebody randomly asked me, well, why isn't so-and-so uh, nominated to be a deacon? And I really can't answer that question because there are issues in that person's life that just prohibit that from being the case. And uh, they probably don't want me to talk about those reasons in a public setting, okay, uh, the office of deacon, 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. There are several requirements there for them and their wives, and they may, uh, somebody may not meet all of them, all of those requirements, but that fact may not be immediately evident to public view. You know, how does the public know that somebody doesn't run their own house well or that their husband-wife relationship is in tip-top shape? a uh, pastor of the church may and should know these things, and it seems reasonable to allow him that privilege. I'll tell you, if you elect the wrong leadership, that's the quickest way to send a church down the toilet. Okay, I've seen it, I've heard of it, and it's not something that we even want to get involved in uh, at all. So a quiet process whereby such nominations or potential nominations are dropped, would be best for the privacy of the individual who is suggested as a candidate. That was not the case with these men. They they met the, the 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 rigorous standard, the requirements. They were put forth both probably good candidates, but we had two more steps yet in the process. Number one, specific requirements. Number two, they had, uh, as we've as we've said, in uh, you know this. This section, there's a nominating process. Number three, there is prayer. Notice that. And they prayed. Verse 24, And they said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. The apostles asked God to show them which of the two was the man for ministry and apostleship. Let me tell you, it's easy to leave prayer out of your decision-making processes. You're so busy about got to choose, got to get this done, got to vote, got to whatever, whatever, and you forget to pray. (laughs) Don't do that. Prayer is vital. In it, in prayer, you are showing explicitly your dependence on God. You're asking him for wisdom about the decision. You're asking him if the right people have been put forward for the job. God uses those things to grant us wisdom and help us think through the situation carefully and in a godly manner. So, prayer. I don't have many notes on this, but I do want to have a big emphasis on it. Don't forget to pray. Daily, uh, pray about decisions, pray before you work on something, pray for safety, pray for everything. Uh, We've... Often at the house when we're doing work, or sometimes here, uh, I'll stop whoever's working, Mike and myself, or whoever, and say, look, let's pray. Other times I've forgotten. We're just like, uh-oh, there's a plumbing leak. We've got to fix it now. <laughs> who, who has time to pray, you know? Uh, who has time not to pray? Uh, so many mistakes so many lack so much lack of forethought like oh I should have done the project this way instead of that other way should have stopped and prayed and asked God and had him guide us prayer very important and they did that so that's step 3 now step 4 finally we get to casting of lots okay God is involved providentially in every event in the world and has his providence arranged such that his decree be wrought even through somewhat mundane means, like the mundane means of probab- probability, probabilistic, you know, casting of lots or drawing straws, so to speak. Whatever method they used to do that, uh, we don't know exactly, but the point is that a seemingly random thing was used to indicate God's choice. There are two key verses in this regard in the scriptures. One is in Proverbs 16, verse 33, and the scripture says there, the, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And then Proverbs 18:18, 18, 18, casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. Keeps the mighty apart. How are you going to vote for Joseph or Matthias if they're your family member, your uh, good friend, you love them, they've helped your spiritual life, or they've rubbed you the wrong way? Those things don't necessarily make for the right reasons to vote for somebody. They're your father, your son. Nepotism, what, the, what casting of lots would do when it says causes contentions to cease, it's an impartial way to select the answer to the question without nepotism or partiality or those sorts of things going on. That's one thing. And uh, if it's accepted by all that uh, it's an impartial process, then you can have a, a situation where it kind of keeps contentions at bay because you're not going at it like, no, I wanted that piece of land you know, in the, in the tribal distribution. And somebody said, no, I wanted that piece of land. No, I wanted it. No, I, you wanted it. I'm going to get into a big argument about it. So it was used to indicate God's choice. God was in it providentially and thus indicated his decree. Lots were used throughout biblical history for things like selecting the scapegoat, you remember that? They had two goats. One was killed. The other was was sent out into the wilderness. Uh, It was used to to distribute the land of Canaan to the tribes in Joshua 18. It was used to find a guilty party, 1 Samuel 14, uh, to select the duty schedule of the priests. I mean, if you think about it, if you have 24 groups of priests, what does it matter? all else being equal, that they serve in you know, this order or this order or this order. It doesn't matter. It's just what, you know, whatever. They, they just pick an order and go with, go with it. Um, it. Lots were used to determine who would reside in Jerusalem in the post-exilic period. You remember um, in Nehemiah they had to figure out who would come into the city and dwell therein? Uh, that the, the lot was used in a negative way to select a time to persecute the Jews. Haman cast light. What month are we going to kill him? Like, he, he made it a game. You know, let's, let's pick the month. Let's just roll the dice for the month. Lots were used in the New Testament to divide somebody's garments, weren't they? Jesus on the cross. Let's cast lots for this inner garment that's woven from the top to the bottom, so we don't tear it and make it into pieces. Okay, lots were used to decide other things that were other, you know, difficult to decide. Choosing uh, individuals of the Jews to deport or kill. And Joel and Nahum, the enemies cast lots. Can you imagine being the subject of that? You know. Okay, your number came up, you're going to be killed. No, your number came up, you're going to be deported. What a a sick thing. Lots were cast over Jerusalem, Obadiah 11, and lots were cast to figure out that Jonah was the culprit causing the boat to be in the storm on the Mediterranean Sea. And so the lot fell to Matthias to be numbered with the other 11 apostles. Later, Paul became the 13th apostle, but he was selected not by lot. He was selected directly by Jesus, appointed instead that way. Now, this method of God's leading is not normative for today. What I mean is that we do not make decisions by lots unless, of course, the decision is not super important, but just some decision must be made. You know, flip a coin for who gets up Next, to watch or care for the baby in the middle of the night. And then the next time, it's the other person's, the other parent's turn, right? Something like that. Um, I might toss a coin to decide who to assign to do men's prayer on a given Saturday. I've actually never done that before, but I could do that. Uh, Usually what I do is I ask the uh, proper people, Uh, when are you available, and uh, what Saturday can you do that? Um, I would consider factors like what other ministries they have, what travels, other responsibilities that week, if they've been sick, if they've had a hard time in their life, if they have done the ministry recently, if they're a capable teacher, if they desire to do the ministry, and all other kinds of factors. Those just kind of factor in naturally when you're thinking about scheduling a a ministry uh, and not... You don't use lots to to figure that stuff out. You have to use wisdom. You have to use your your noodle. Today, the first three steps that we outlined above here, the the requirements, uh, the prayer, the nomination, are fine and necessary ones, but we do not make then the final selection by lots. Supposing that we sat and thought about who are qualified people to be deacons in our church, and we came up with two, that weren't already deacons. What might we do? We might suggest a vote for both of them to be deacons, because there's no limit on the number. Okay, it could be three, two, five, seven, four, whatever. Just it depends on the needs of the church at the time and the number of people qualified to do that. Uh, Mark Snowberger, John's dad, wrote on lots in 2011, and uh, he says a few things that are interesting. The casting of lots, he says, was not a form of divination. There's a kind of question about it. Was it a a kind of divination, uh, a subset of it, an exception to the general prohibition? Uh, It certainly was not a way to force God to disclose information to humanity. Rather, it was a, a way on the human side to make decisions without partiality, and without conflict, that Proverbs 18 is quite interesting. It's not saying that we're getting new revelation from God. It's that we're using an impartial method of making a decision when other factors are all all else being equal, right? I mean, you're not going to say, here's a well-qualified candidate, and here's a terribly qualified candidate, but we're going to cast lots between the two of them as if they're equal. No, they're not equal. This guy's not going to be on the list, only going to have one left. So wisdom has already dictated that we don't need the lot because we have the qualifications, we have the nomination, we have the prayer that have worked through this situation already. So that's the situation by which they selected uh, Matthias, who was then the 12th apostle. Well, that must have felt strange for him all of his life. You know that? I wasn't one of the original ones that Jesus selected, but I was one of the ones, the one who was selected by this unique process of nomination and requirement setting and prayer and then the casting of lots, and God privileged him to to have that position. So that will carry forward into the book of Acts, uh, the apostles having their ministry um, throughout the rest of the book. This finishes chapter one and lays the groundwork for the birth of the church in chapter 2. So we'll come to that, Lord willing, the next time. It's just after 8 o'clock here on the last day of May, 2023. Welcome to June tomorrow already. And uh, pray for for the church, for each other, for the work that we're doing. And uh, ask yourself, how can I best serve the Lord the next half of this year? Although I know we're not quite halfway through, but we're getting there already. And uh, let's serve the Lord faithfully in these days. The next thing you know, it's going to be December 1st, <laughs> all right? Five, six more months are going to pass like that. So redeem the time for the days are evil. Let's pray. Heavenly father, we want to thank you for allowing us to look into the text of scripture and to see a few things that will kind of hopefully unconfuse us about lot casting and what it all means. Um, Lord, uh, help us just to apply what we've learned here when the time comes that we need it. Thank you for each one here. Bless uh, each one. Grant safety as we pass uh, from here to our homes for rest tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.